You're listening to the Doheny Podcast Network. The Doheny Eye Institute, working for all to see. Your host is Jody Becker. My guests today are Doheny's Dr. Irina Sway and one of her frequent collaborators, Dr. Allison Chu, a neonatologist at UCLA. Dr. Tsui holds a joint appointment at the UCLA Jules Stein Eye Institute and Doheny Eye Institute and has expertise in surgical retina care. Specifically, she has two main areas of research and treatment. The first is the highly specialized retinopathy of prematurity, which is all about helping premature newborns facing compromised vision. Even within the world of ophthalmology, this is a particularly delicate and determinative kind of work as it occurs in the very beginning of life. So today we'll hear from both doctors about the latest approaches. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Jody. It's a pleasure to be here. So you are collaborators, each with your own specialty and also with intersecting research interests. Dr. Tsui, can you tell us a little bit about how you met and launched your project together? So Allison and I both work at UCLA and we care for the same patients in the NICU. We met at a weekly conference and found that our research interests were very similar. Allison, do you have anything to add or replace? <laughs> no, uh, no, that sounds good. We, um, we both have an interest in some of the underlying mechanisms of retinopathy of prematurity. So we just started brainstorming about um, things that we could look at together. Also research-wise, we are enrolling infants who are being screened for ROP in a study to have their eyes imaged with OCT, and we are analyzing that data and correlating it with their short and long-term outcomes. So let me ask you, Dr. Chu, because you're a neonatologist, so you're looking at all systems, not just the eye and vision. Can you talk a little bit about how you got interested in the questions around retinopathy of prematurity? I actually came to UCLA with an interest in vascular disease or uh, diseases that involve the blood vessels. And I had been actually studying the placenta and had been collaborating um, with two other researchers at UCLA, um, one of which is also an ophthalmologist, Dr. Lynn Gordon. Um, And she was talking about a protein that we were studying in different diseases, but she was looking at it in eye diseases. And when I was at a lab meeting with her, I just thought to myself, oh, wow, this protein might be interesting to look at in retinopathy of prematurity. And so that's how I got involved in this specific disease. Dr. Swake, can you talk to us about what the vision problems are that can develop for children who are born early and why, why that happens? So children who are born early, they can develop retinopathy of prematurity, which in the worst cases if untreated, can lead to total blindness. Luckily, this is very rare, and we have strict screening and treatment guidelines in place so that this is not common, and most children who are born early can preserve their their vision. Talk to us a little bit about how you identify this. So the screening criteria in this country is to dilate infants and check their retinas if they are born less than 30 weeks gestational age, or less than 1,500 grams at birth weight, which is about 3.3 pounds. And we follow children's eyes carefully and make sure that the retinal vessels mature as we would expect until they're about term age. And about 10 to 15% of patients screened require either laser or injection treatment for their eye disease. 
So laser is the more long-standing option that has been around um, since the 80s. And then the injection of medication has been used since about 2005 or so. And the general decision to treat is if there's a lot of laser needed, we might do the injection first with some follow-up laser later to minimize those side effects. And if only a little bit of laser is needed, then we might just do the laser to avoid the potential side effects of doing the in injection. So it really is tailored case by case to what we see in, in uh, each baby's eyes. And so can you talk a little bit about the kind of data that you can gather and what the goals are, what the assessments are? The research that Allison and I do, we use OCT to image the baby's eyes. And this is something that is not part of cl clinical care. Most places do not have this. And we are using it to study how the eye intersects with the brain and also to see, and actually I'll let Allison speak about that more, but as far as the eyes go, even children that we capture at the correct time with proper laser or injection treatment, they may go on to develop visual problems later. So with these pictures, we're able to see what are some of the microstructural issues that preterm birth causes that, to be honest with you, we didn't even know about before using OCT in this po population. Yeah, so the, the images that we take with this OCT machine are um, very interesting because um, when we're looking at retinopathy or prematurity based on clinical guidelines, one of the things that we're really focused on is abnormal blood vessel growth of the retinal blood vessels. When we are using this OCT machine, we can actually see the layers of the retina, so the eye itself. And this is really interesting because now with the research that Irina and I have been doing, we've actually been um, finding that there can be abnormalities that we see in the retina that potentially are correlated to other comorbidities of prematurity. So for you, that would be particularly interesting. Can you talk about what those are and what other systems are sometimes involved? Anytime a baby is born prematurely, um, just as you might suspect, um, all of their organ systems are very immature and function very immaturely because they haven't had the time to fully develop. So one of the most common problems that premature babies have is that their lungs are immature, which means they need help breathing, which we can do with various kinds of respiratory support, but we also provide them oxygen. And this ties back to retinopathy or prematurity because what we've realized over the decades is that higher oxygen exposure is really bad for these babies in that it can lead to worse retinopathy or prematurity. And so what we have found actually using our um, the OCT images is that there is another uh, blood vessel supply to the eye, and this is called the choroid. And what we've found is that the choroid actually appears to be thinner in babies who are exposed to more oxygen. And the reason that this is really interesting is that in older children and even in adults, that thinning of the choroid appears to affect potentially visual function later. And Dr. Sway has published studies that when you look at ex-premature infants when they're school age, this thinning of the choroid is um, permanent or longstanding. Access to these images seems like it's been a huge game changer. Can you talk a little bit about 
whether you were anticipating having this information when you started using this technology and what kind of changes it's made as far as your treatment plans for patients? I'd say when we first started using it, we did not know what to expect findings-wise, and we are a little bit surprised by the exciting findings that we have made, but we knew that it was going to be important, and we knew that it would tell us information that we never even knew in the past. I would say we didn't even know the questions that could be asked. So to tell you the truth, the machine is expensive, it's bulky, it's not easy to use. While it's perfectly safe for the babies, it's very tedious to move it from bedside to bedside. And so I don't think long-term it's really feasible to think about doing this for clinical care. It's very much a research base now. But what I see in the future is that with the proper information to show how important this information is and what an effect it can have on these kids, I think that the tech technology can be made um, to be smaller and more facile. So I see that um, a smaller, handheld, more portable version could be available in every NICU and it could become the standard of care in maybe five or 10 years. I don't know what you think about that, Allison. We've never really talked about how this could play. <laughs> we can talk about it yeah, here. I, yeah. No, I 100% agree with you, Irina. I think the stage that we're at right now is, is in some sense very exploratory. And the things that we're finding, I think, are exciting because they can change individual care for babies in the future, but certainly the way that the technology exists currently, it's not um, feasible across multiple centers and it's not really cost-effective yet. But, you know, in relation to the specific finding I was just talking about, I, I can envision, like you were saying, a small handheld device where if it can tell us that the choroid is thinning, potentially we can offer precision medicine where we change a baby's oxygen exposure based on what we're seeing so that we can balance out the risks and benefits in real time and consider the long-term effects that different exposures have. Yes, and not to belabor the tediousness of this <laughs> study, but just so you can kind of appreciate how it works, the babies are not sleeping, so they are awake, they're moving around, they're squirming, they're not, they're not crying, they are very comfortable, <clears throat> but they're babies, so their eyes are looking around, they're moving around, they're sucking a pacifier. It is like a five-person team to do this. There's one person holding the baby still, one person watering um, the cornea so that the surface is clear, the pictures are of better image quality, two people running the computer itself, and one person holding the camera head. And plus, a sixth person would be the nurse watching the monitor to make sure that the baby is com com comfortable. So I think we're very lucky at UCLA to not only have this d device, but this research team that comes with us. Um, and even the space to roll this device around uh, other NICUs I've been to, sometimes it's very narrow and it wouldn't even be feasible to roll this thing from baby to baby. So I'm hearing a call for innovation in the development of a device here that can do this work. I just want to touch briefly before we wrap up on how the ability to do this kind of imaging has improved outcomes and how it has helped you in your work with patients. I think it hasn't changed patient care yet. I, we want to be clear, it's 
purely on a research basis now. And when I consent the parents to be in this voluntary study, we have to make it very clear that it does not impact the care of the present patient. But with this very exciting and expanding data that we're having, it's going to, I believe, affect patient care in the near future. And it's, this is how innovation happens. And this is how we even learn what questions to ask possible. I mean, my my own vision of how this can be used has changed a lot over the past year. Allison? Yeah, I agree. The way that we envision the use of this in the future is to be able to better understand what's going on with an individual baby, um, both at the eye and the brain level potentially, but also to have it help us inform real-time management decisions while the baby is in the NICU, but also potentially to provide families about information in terms of whether or not we can predict later outcomes, both in terms of their vision and their neurodevelopment. One of the interesting things about preterm babies, and part of the reason why I love this uh, collaboration, because I'm learning about it from Allison's point of view, is just how variable and unpredictable the outcomes are. That a baby, you know, two kids born at 23 weeks, they could grow up to be very different in terms of neurodevelopment and their eyes. And it's a big question for the parents of how disabled or if my child will be disabled at all. And I don't know what you think, Allison, but I have, as I follow these children grow up, been very sur surprised at some of the sickest babies that grow up very healthy and some of the healthier ones that grow up with issues. So this picture could in some way help us to stratify and counsel parents better about what the future might be for their very sick child. Absolutely. I think that's one of the most exciting potential applications of our, our research findings. You know, when we talk to families, even before the babies are born, you know, while they're in the NICU with us, when they're about to go home, that's really the most important question for these families is, you know, what will this mean for my son or my daughter's future? And I think if we can even give them a little idea of things, of what we think, what we can predict, or how we might be able to improve their outcomes, I, I think that is so helpful to families. What sort of what types of vision problems actually might follow some of these children who start in the NICU and what are the challenges that the parents are told may be facing their child? Children who are born early, develop ROP, and treated for it, they can go on to have very high my myopia, or they can have visual impairment due to brain damage. Um, I think those are probably the two more severe and untreatable issues. Glaucoma and cataract are also other issues. And then neurodevelopmentally, I'll let Allison speak to that. You know, these babies can have um, risk of something we call intraventricular hemorrhage, which is known to be associated with bad outcomes. It's um, bleeding in certain parts of the um, brain. They also can be at risk for cerebral palsy, various learning disabilities. It's really a, a very wide spectrum. Thank you both for your insights, Dr. Sway. We'll look forward to having you back to talk about your pioneering work with women who experience diabetic retinopathy during pregnancy and how imaging can reduce the risk of vision loss for them. Dr. Chu and Dr. Sway, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. If you'd like to support the work of the Doheny Eye Institute, please visit the website at doheny.org. The Doheny Eye Institute 
at the forefront in eradicating eye disease for nearly 70 years, is dedicated to providing state-of-the-art clinical services and supporting leading researchers in the quest for treatments that stabilize and improve the precious sense of sight. Doheny is now affiliated with UCLA Stein Eye Institute. For more information about our doctors and their innovative work in the quest for better vision, visit our website, doheny.org.